our scripture reading for this morning. It's found in Numbers 13, 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, again, good morning. Welcome to the Olathe campus of Christ Community Church. Really glad you're here. My name is Nathan. Uh, it's good to be together. Uh, I, uh, I don't get to the, the theater all that often. I wish I could. I love, I love seeing movies. Uh, and one of, one of the best ones I've seen in, in quite some time, uh, I saw it uh, just last week, about a week and a half ago, uh, Free Solo. Uh, just a, it's a documentary. Um, maybe, you've, maybe you've not even heard of it. Some of you might recognize like a little bit. Of, I showed a clip of his climb a year ago. Any, ring any bells if you're here? Uh, so let me, let me refresh you a little bit. So on June 3rd, 2017, Alex Honnold, that guy right there, became the first person ever to free solo climb El Capitan. In Yosemite, that's 3,000 feet of sheer granite straight up. And free solo, if you don't know this, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the climbing world. It means no ropes. No protection, no parachute, no nothing. And he did it in a little less than four hours, straight up, right? Now, now I, am, I am not a climber. I have no desire to ever be a climber. Uh, but I, I love, I, <laughs> I mean, I've seen these pictures so many times. I watched the movie and I still turn back. And I was like, oh my goodness. Um, like, who does that? Right? I, I mean, I love the film. I have no desire to climb or anything like that. Uh, and while on the one hand, not, 99% of me thinks he's insane, which is absolutely crazy. Like, why, why would you possibly do that without ropes, right? Why would you do it with ropes, you know, honestly? <laughs> so 99% of me thinks he's insane. But there's this other, like, 1% left that just wants to be him, honestly. I mean, no, I don't, I don't want to do, I don't want to do anything like that. But I know my, my life is so often characterized by just the opposite. Is it? I mean, let's, like safety, comfort, ease, you know, kind of like, like my own risk avoidance. Like that's, that's what I go after. And I'm afraid I'm missing out. When, when I'd so much rather experience something like this. What would that be like, right? Listen, what? What would you do if you weren't afraid? Okay, please, please don't do that, okay? <laughs> we, have, we have insurance as a church, but not that much, so don't go out and just do that and blame your pastor. Don't, don't do that. This dude is nuts, okay? And yet, at the, at the same time, if, if you are a follower of Jesus, we have faith in the God who made El Capitan. But we parent out of fear. We vote out of fear. We manage our relationships out of fear. Fear prevents us from being generous, from sharing Jesus, fear of missing out, fear of being known. I mean, how much of my life is dictated to me by fear? One of my favorite quotes from the movie, I love this, Alex says, you will always feel fear. But over time, you will realize the only way to truly manage your fear is to broaden your comfort zone to stretch yourself, to take just one more step outside of your own comfort or abilities. And what we need, friends, 
What we need is bold faith. And so we're going to take these next three weeks together as a church, three, three Sundays, uh, to examine one of the most compelling stories of faith in all the scriptures, in my opinion. If you have a Bible with you, turn to the book of Numbers. It's in there. We heard the first part of it read. And there's a couple chapters here. There's, it kind of gets resumed later on in Joshua. So we're going to take these three weeks at, at this time together. Numbers, it's, it's in the front of your Bibles. Okay, if, you're, if you got that, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers is in there. Um, otherwise, we'll have, we'll have the scripture up here uh, as well. But we need bold faith individually, right? And you know it, right? Even as I say it, like we know how much of our lives is dictated by fear. But we also, we also need it right now as a church, See, Christ community right now, we, we believe is at a crossroads. Um, one, of the things I, one of the things I love most about our church is that 12 years ago when we started here in Olathe, uh, we sort of made a, a, an implicit decision in that, that instead of asking people to come to us, that we would take the church to you, right? That's why we, that's why we have five campuses across the city. And, and place matters, right? Neighborhoods matter. And because of that localized focus, we also realize how essential it is for each of our local church families to have adequate homes that facilitate that mission. Families need a home, right? But two of our campuses don't have what we have. Our, our Shawnee Mission campus meets in a middle school. Our downtown campus has long outgrown their rental space. In fact, Jeff and I, uh, last Sunday I was there, we walked like, they have one little space for where they meet for Sunday. We walked out the back alley with the kids, like they're all holding on to like a rope, basically, into another building about a block and a half away where they have their class. And that it works, but it's, we know it's not, it's not ideal, right? And we're going we're gonna to talk about this more in the coming weeks, but we believe that God is leading us toward a solution. But it is going to stretch us. I mean, if you think, think back, even just what we've been able to accomplish here, right? I mean, think about that, right? Because of your generosity and the generosity across all of our campuses, we've been able to expand this facility and what a difference it has made in serving our community. Um, many of you are here right now because we made room for you. And we are so glad we did. But for us to be able to do this in two other places, it's going to stretch us. It's going to push, push me as a leader, all of us as leaders, out of our comfort zones. It is going to take bold faith from all of us, individually and collectively, in our personal lives, in our co corporate life, together as a church. We need faith. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll jump into this story this morning. Father, I pray that you would give us the gift of faith, all of us, God, regardless of where we're at in our, our journey with you, whether we have a tiny, tiny bit of faith or a whole lot of faith, God, we know what matters most is that our faith is in you. And so, God, I pray that you would increase it for all of us. Give us the strength that we have, that we need individually in our lives and the places that we lead and serve, but also together as a church as we seek to move forward with what you would call us to do. Do that in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so bold faith takes a big story. Bold faith takes a, a, a big story. Let's, let's set the context. Again, we've got three weeks here, um, but this is early on in the history of God's people. I mean, really early on. We're talking maybe like 1500 BC, uh, roughly. So this is after uh, Abraham, after Isaac, after Jacob. It's after the 400 years that God's people spent uh, in slavery in Egypt, 
Okay? So they, they've, done, they've done all of that, and they're, they're right now in, in the book of Numbers, they're right at the edge of the promised land. And God, God has said, it is yours. Like, this is, this is my gift to you, this, this home. And what's so fascinating about this story here in Numbers is that some people say yes to God's promise, but most of them say no. No thanks, God, too scary. What's the difference between these two groups of people? Faith. And here in the initial part of this story, we see three crucial aspects of faith, which we need individually and we need collectively together. Faith rests, faith remembers, and faith receives. That's kind of what we're, what we're doing this morning. Faith rests, remembers, and receives. So first of all, faith rests, right? Because you've got you to start off with the definition of faith. Because what are we even talking about? What, is this, what does this thing mean called faith? I mean, faith is belief. It's trust. The author of, of Hebrews describes it like this. as now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's more than, it's more than just cognitive, like saying, yes, I agree with that. It really has with it the idea of, of rest, which in fact, the, the author of Hebrews elsewhere will describe this very story in, in Numbers. He will, he will describe their failure of faith as ultimately a failure to rest in God. Every, uh, every Monday, all the preachers from all of our campuses, we get together uh, at our, our multi-site office and we, we spend uh, an hour and a half talking about the text uh, we, we work on it together. All of us are preaching. We do the same series, same ser- we write our own sermons, but we work on them together. We study together. We try to brainstorm, get ideas together. Uh, truthfully, like all of my best ideas in preaching, they all came from somebody else. Just, just as a rule of thumb, that's probably true. Um, somebody in that, in that meeting. But this past week, we had a couple of guests, which is not uncommon because what we do at Christ Community, it's fairly unique. So others from outside churches will come sometimes and just sit in to kind of explore what it is we do in that teaching team meeting because it's, kind of, it's a unique approach to preaching. But these two particular guests, actually three of them, um, two of them were our, our, our pastors in Iran. Uh, partnered with us in the gospel, right? Doing the same, same work together. But the two of them have been imprisoned for their faith. Like, they've, they've done the same job that, that I do, that we as pastors do, but they have done it under threat of their very lives. All because of their faith. And I, I tell you what, I was the one this past Monday responsible for leading the conversation on bold faith <laughs> with them in the room. Matt, I'm, I'm not exactly, I felt an inch tall, probably less. Because right? they've, they've lived this, like, right? And, and at one point, we were kind of working together on a, on a definition of what, what is faith and how would, how would they describe it? How would we ask them? And one of, the, one of the individuals shared this. It's rooted in the Westminster Confession of Faith from, from 1646. But this is the definition that they were grabbing onto. It said, faith is resting in and receiving from the finished work of Christ. I love that definition. Resting in and receiving from the finished, like it's done, the finished work of Christ. That faith rests. 
Faith, faith knows it doesn't have all the answers, but it rests in the one who does have the answers. Even when life is restless and there's chaos and panic all around us, not in our own abilities, but in the promises of God so that we can follow him at all costs, so that we can risk, that we can stretch. And listen, church, if you are a Christian, faith isn't the last resort. We think of that like, well, if all, all else fails, right, we'll have faith. If you're a Christian, faith isn't your last resort. Faith is the primary way in which we see reality. Faith is the primary way in which we see everything, right? Faith that, that life matters, that God's way is better, that, that you are already seen and known and forgiven and loved, and that death does not win. And if you believe that, then there's rest. Yeah, but Nathan, the world's a mess, right? How can any of us possibly be at rest? Well, faith also remembers. And this is really important, right? We've got to start with the definition, but how do we even get there? Faith remembers. And in Numbers 13, I think there's three things in particular that jump out to me that faith remembers. So look at, look at the text, Numbers 13. Starts off, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Okay, so, so picture them, right? They've done the, the slave thing for 400 years. They, they're there. They're on the edge of this land. They're ready for the home that God had promised them for literally hundreds of years at this point. Will they go in or will they stay? The land I am giving you, God says. Well, here's, here's the first thing faith has to remember. It's obvious, right? Faith remembers God. Faith remembers our God. It, start, it starts with him, with his promise. It has to. I mean, listen, listen, it is, it is not the strength of your faith that ultimately matters, but the object of your faith like don't, don't miss that, right? Because some, some of us come and we have, we have, oh man, we have so little. Others, others maybe, maybe you just, you trust God so well, so it just comes naturally. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it is not the strength of your faith that's gonna rescue. It's the object of your faith. It's the one that we've placed our faith in. Because all of us here, whether you're a Christian or not, all of us are trusting in something to, to give us hope, confidence, to tell us that life is important, that it matters, right? All of us have faith in something, the question is, whatever it is you're trusting in, whether it's money or power or your own good works or your reputation or sex or whatever, whatever thing like you're, you're asking to give you those answers, will it be enough when life falls apart? Like, will it be enough to sustain you in the end? God promised this land to his people. And he said, Go. Now, I realize very understandably, some of you are probably thinking, okay, but let's back up for a second. Let's talk about this conquest thing. Is that, how do we feel about that? Now, those are good questions. It is, it is unsettling. Uh, we don't have time to go into it a ton here this morning. I'd, I'd recommend a resource for you. It's been really helpful for me. Uh, is God a Moral Monster? Uh, by Paul Copen, uh, just kind of describes historically what is really happening in these texts, what, what's going on in the nations around them, right? It's, it's complex, certainly, but that's, that's been a helpful, a helpful resource. And yet I do want to say the overwhelming message of Scripture, right, Old and New Testaments both, is that God longs to rescue and redeem all people. 
Like even this, this land that he's promised, even his people, the Israelites, they're meant to be a blessing to all nations, a place of salvation for anyone and everyone. So God has promised. He, he's promised them. He's promised us. And he has promised you. Faith remembers God. It's more than that. Faith also remembers our humanity. This is the second thing. I think this is really important because so often I think we, we tend to think that faith is like some blind leap in the dark, right? Um, it's, it's for the uneducated, the simple, right? We, we tend to kind of go in those, those directions. It's when all else fails kind of thing. But go back, go back to the story. So Moses, like he selects these 12 spies. And then and in verse 17... It says, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land." But think about this. I'd never thought about this before until, until just recently. Like, God had promised the land. He had said that the land is good. He said that he was going to take care of it, that they'd be fine. So why does God tell them to send in the spies? Like, what's the point of that? I think there's a couple reasons. Two, two reasons. And, and the first, I think, is to remind us of our humanity, of our limitations, for them to, to realize complete, like they cannot do this on their own. Which is such an important step for us. Like to get to that point and whatever it is you are restless about in your life and say, you know what, I cannot do this. On, like, I cannot parent on my own. Like I, I, can't, I can't change the, the culture on my own, right? I can't change that person or that relationship on my own. And we certainly can't fulfill our mission as a church on our own. Which if you just like let that sit in for a second, whatever it is that you're, you're wrestling with, like that should be both on the one hand freeing, because it's not all up to you, and absolutely terrifying, because it is not all up to you, right? And yet, what's so beautiful about this is that, that God invites us into the process, like, faith requires something from us. God's not just going to give it to them. He, he wants them to go in, to, to do their dil, due diligence, to know what's ahead, to participate in his work. He invites you and me, as his people, into his everyday work. And so faith remembers our humanity. But why else did God tell them to spy it out? I think it's to remind them of their story. So, so think about it. faith remembers God, first of all, it remembers us, second, but then it remembers how God has come through in the past in our stories, right? And so God, he specifically tells them here to, to check out the hill country. And there's this one particular place that's mentioned over and over and over again in the text, this place, Hebron. Like, what is that all about? Who really cares about Hebron, right? And we're so far removed, right? And so, of course, like, who cares, Right? But Hebron is sort of the center of their story, it, it, like the epicenter of, of, of their faith. 
Like all the stories that they heard as kids growing up back in, in Egypt, right? All of, all of the heroes that they've had, everybody that their kids wanted to dress up for, for Halloween, right? If they did that back then, I don't think they did. Um, but if they did, like it'd be these people, right? So for, for example, Abraham, like the father of their, of their people, built an altar in Hebron. Sarah died there, was buried there. Isaac and Rebekah lived and died and were buried there. Um, Jacob, I mean, Jacob's story is fascinating. Jacob was forced to move to Egypt, right, because of the, the famine, but his dying wish to his son Joseph was, bury me in Hebron. And so, like, Abraham, who'd first heard the promise, Isaac, who himself was the child of God's promise from, um, from of old, right? Joseph, or Jacob, who, who wrestled with God. Joseph, who rescued God's people. Like, do you think it's a coincidence that God tells them to go to Hebron? I don't, I don't think so. I think he wants them to remember every step of faith along the way, the people who'd gone before them, the ones who had got them to that point. And I'm convinced that for faith to grow, we've got to remember our stories, individually and collectively. I mean, for you to, to if, you, if you understand how God has worked in your past, then no, no matter how turbulent your present is, you're that much more likely to be able to have rest because you know ultimately that the future is his, right? Because you, you've seen it along the way for you personally as well as those around you. So what, what is your story of faith? Where did it start? What are the milestones? When's the last time you've told somebody? I'm, I'm convinced one of the best ways to strengthen our own faith is to, to tell our story and to hear from the stories of others. What has God done in you, through you, around you? And I love being able to hear those stories. And what about, what about us as a church? Because as I said, we are at a crossroads. And some of you are already thinking like, well, how can we, how can we possibly like buy two churches, right, for our homeless campuses? We haven't even paid off this building yet. And we, we need to talk about those, those questions, those, those challenges, and we, we will. We'll have opportunity for that. But today, across all five of our campuses, we wanted to just tell a bit of our bold faith story as a church. Like our, our, our little, our own miniature Hebron moments, right, in the history of Christ community. Um, did you know, for example, that we're about to celebrate our 30th birthday as a church? It's kind of fun. Uh, next year, we'll be 30 years. Christ Community began in, in 1989 when uh, Pastor Tom Nelson, some of you have met him, others of you have no idea who he is, that's okay. Um, he's my pastor, um, friend, mentor, colleague, boss. Uh, but when he and his wife left Dallas because they believed Kansas City needed a new church, that's how we started, honestly. As simple as that. And maybe, maybe they're like, why, why plant churches? And frankly, why does Christ community keep planting churches? Why do we have five? It's because, well, studies show that the, the, the best way to reach lost people and to impact a community is through the planting of new churches. 
Like every, every study shows that, and so we want to be a part of that. And so, so Tom and Liz, they believed that 30 years ago, and they left, they left Dallas with nothing but faith. In fact, Tom even failed the church planting assessment. They said, don't do it, right? But the day, the day after he arrived in Kansas City, in his mailbox there was a check for $5,000 to our denomination to start Christ Community Church. We just think about return on investment for a moment. What God can do. Here's the note, even. We dug it up this week. Look how it ends. Hope this gift gives you a little push. I love that. Because man, did it ever. And there's, there's so much I could say about the early days, only because I've heard about them. I wasn't there. Um, I, I joined Christ Community as a high school student in 1997. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus there because those are the things I remember, right, that I experienced. Because Christ Community spent 10 years as a mobile church. We've, we've done kind of the, the homeless, moving around, trying to figure out what works. I, I started attending, I was a senior in high school, it was 1997, Overland Trail Middle School, over on 135th, where everything is now. There was nothing except for that school um, back then. And when I walked into Christ Community, I was wrestling with my own faith. As a senior in high school, just trying to figure out what I believed do I want to take Jesus seriously? And all of that. And um, my second Sunday, I still remember, I could, I could walk back. I haven't been in that building, I don't know, 18 years, I guess, 17 years. I could walk back, I'm almost convinced, to that exact spot because on my second Sunday there, one of the pastors remembered my name. People sometimes ask me why I work so hard to remember names of people here. That's why. Because that pastor knew my name and it changed my life. And a few months, a few months later, so in 1998, you know, again, I'm just, I'm just participating in the church. I'm not, wasn't on staff or anything like that. So I'm only seeing it as a, as a congregation member. We were still in the school and wanting so desperately to, to move, to build, to, to be in, in, a, in a home. Um, and the elders decided to give our down payment. We've been saving for that money. Um, $50,000, they decided to give it to a church plant in Romania instead of building for ourselves. That's a pretty bold faith step, right? And church, you can't make this stuff up. Like, that was a Thursday. That Sunday, we received a check for $500,000. And there you go, right? Start of our, of our Leewood campus and, and their home. Fast forward to 2006. Um, I, I had been on staff at that point for about a year. I was a pastoral resident, um, like our good buddy Johnny Neef, if you know Johnny. We love Johnny, don't we? Love that guy. He's going to thank me later for calling him Johnny Neef so many times. Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. Let that sink in and only call him Johnny. <laughs> love that guy. But I was, I was a pastoral resident. Um, I'd been on staff for about a year. And we've been talking about doing multi-site, like, because we're, we're passionate about church planting, and what would it look like, and is it a good idea or not? And I, I remember <laughs> my, my, my boss at the time asked me, like, what do you think about multi-site church planting? And I said, oh, that's a terrible idea. That's, <laughs> like, that'll, that'll never work, right? It's a fad. It's, I don't want anything to do with it. And it's part of this team that's just sort of explored. Is it something we, we could do? And the more we looked into it, the more we said, yes, this does seem like it could work. In fact, we, we ended up re recommending it to the elders then. This is 2006. We said, yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's do it in uh, Olathe. 
So we had kind of picked this area generally as a good spot for us. Um, but let's do it in like two years, we said to the elders. Again, you can't make this stuff up. It was two months later that we held our first service in this adorable little building. I think, yep, right there. Does that look familiar at all? It's hard to even recognize it anymore, isn't it? Just in case you don't know, that's the front of this property, right? Two months instead of two years. There's about a dozen people. The church was closing its doors and they gave us that building and these 10 acres for a song. I mean, truth be told, we are built on their faith and the gift that they gave us. I also failed the church planting assessment, by the way, (laughs) in case you're curious. And we struggled. Oh man, that first year in particular was awful. Like some of you, I'm looking out, right? Paul, you remember. Oh, Jill. Uh, they're, they're, like, like if we could watch like one of those services, it would be absolutely embarrassing. Um, it was hard. People didn't, I mean, it was, it was really, really hard. But about 100 people from our Leewood campus stepped out in bold faith because they believed that God would show up eventually. And they believed that this community needed a church. And then all of a sudden, we, we couldn't keep up. And we needed to build, but it was 2009 and the economy had just fallen apart. Not a great time to raise money. Um, but somebody who doesn't even attend Christ's community gave us, out of the blue, a million-dollar check. Doesn't even attend here. Like, who does that? Somebody with bold faith. And we expanded. In that time as well, we started downtown which began essentially in a shoebox, like the whole church would fit in the back of Gabe's car. Um, But as I said, I was there last Sunday and almost every seat was filled. That's pretty normal, isn't it, Jeff? We started Brookside in that time. And I've heard that one. That's a fun one. Isn't that beautiful, by the way? Um, Somebody was driving by that empty church building um, and saw it for sale, bought it, renovated it, paid for the first 18 months of operating expenses, and gave it to Christ's community, all because they believed that that neighborhood needed a gospel-proclaiming church. And now, I mean, every Sunday, like 400 people hear the message that Jesus changes everything in that place. Bold faith. 2015? Getting close, okay, Sorry. I get nostalgic. haven't cried yet. Um, 2015, Olathe again has a problem. Maybe you're picking up a theme. We've kind of been a problem campus, I think, <laughs> along the way. Um, but what a beautiful problem because we were out of room again. This is 2015. Um, and so we took another bold step. We sent out 140 of our friends from here. Um, and they went and they started a Shawnee Mission campus. People who love their church, who we love, who I still miss, Right? they believed that that community also needed a church. They're at Trail Ridge Middle School. Not quite as pretty as the Brookside campus, but you get the idea. But they stepped out in bold faith. And that that helped our our space problem here for about five minutes. Um, But unbelievably, in 2015, we also received a gift of $3 million. I hope you realize, like, that's not normal, right? I think you probably do, but like, I just want to air that out. Like, that is not normal. Also in that time, Reed joined our team, all right? You finally got some good preaching around here, so that's, that's been good. 
Love Reed. So glad he's here. And we raised even more money through ReachKC and through your generosity, your sacrifice, um, and built this amazing space. And, and God willing, by the end of the year, we hopefully will owe less than a million dollars left on this space, which is incredible. 30 years of bold faith. And yeah, I mean, it's fun to point out the, the big leaps and some of the big steps and the big gifts and all of that. But listen, please don't miss this. If you think that's the sum total of who we are as a church, you're dead wrong. Because every act of generosity, every, every time you invite a friend, every time you volunteer or serve or, or care for your community at work and school, like every bit of it, every sacrifice, all of it takes faith. And please, please hear this. There is nobody at Christ's community smart enough or talented enough, certainly not hip enough, that could accomplish what God has done in 30 years through people with ordinary faith, ordinary people, right? Just a little, a little bit of faith. And we have another one of these moments ahead of us. And we're still, we're still in the very initial stages and hope to have more information for you in the coming weeks. Uh, but the campus pastors, senior pastors, elders all agree enthusiastically and with unity and with fear and trembling that we have got to move forward together. That we need homes for our Shawnee Mission and downtown campuses. We've identified a couple properties for each. We're getting the, beginning the process of getting them under contract, contingent on congregational approval, of course. We have to all say yes to that. But we hope to have some really, really exciting news in the coming weeks. But don't start with the numbers. How are we going to do this? Right? How can we possibly pay for this? That matters. We'll get there, okay? It's not, we're not going to put our head in the sand. It matters. But we have to start with this, okay? Start, start here. How many of you want so badly, right, to see what, what God has done here and what God has done in you? How many of you want to see that at our downtown area? Shawnee Mission. Of course, of course we do. All of us long for that. Do you believe then that God is able to do it through us? So what do, what do we do? What are we going to do about it? Start praying. I mean, that, that comes first, right? Because this is God's work. We can't do this. God has to fill in the gap. Another thing, come back these next couple weeks. Because we're going we're to talk about this along the way. How do we do this bold faith thing, both individually, right? But also as a church. So come back, hear about, get to know our campuses, our mission, why we think this matters. And of course, give. You know it's going to happen, right? I'm going to say it. Bold faith requires sacrifice from all of us. And we're going to think creatively how to do that, okay? And if you've been around any length of time, we're not, we're not heavy-handed with this. We don't want to be manipulative or guilt-driven or any of that when it comes to giving. Please, please, please know that. But begin thinking, especially as we get closer to the end of the year, begin thinking now how you're going to participate. What would it look like for you and your family to help give these other churches a home? Okay, bold faith takes a big story, and we have one. As I said, faith rests. We saw that. Faith remembers, and I'll I'll end with this. Faith receives. Don't forget this part. Faith also receives something. Because the Israelites, they have a choice, right? And, and no, let me just, like, we're not, we're not the Israelites. These buildings are not the promised land. Good grief. Okay, that's not, that's not what we're doing, right? And yet Hebrews says these things are written down for our instruction to know what faith looks like. 
and to know what the cost that comes with it is. And they have a choice. Well, look at this next week. They can dig graves in the wilderness. They can retreat into fear and comfort and self-protection, the familiar, or they can move forward. Bold faith. I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and think, wow, that was, that was safe. That was comfortable. That was easy, right? A life without fear is a life that's never stepped out in bold faith. And nobody wants that. So what do we, what do we receive if we live by faith? Well, ultimately, God, Right? We get, we get God, we get, we get to see him, experience him. Like when you, when you, and you know this, right? you've done this in your own life, right? When you, when you step out in an area in which you know you cannot do it on your own and you see him come through, you get, a, you get a new experience of him, a new picture of who he is and his love for you, even when it's hard and brutal, but we get to experience God. You won't know what God can do in you until you see what God can do through you. And when we see Jesus, I think it'll be enough. Again, I can't, I can't tell you how meaningful it was uh, sitting in that teaching team meeting with those real pastors who'd been in jail for their faith. And their lives at risk simply because they believe Jesus is worth it. They love him more than their own comfort. I mean, I, I cannot remember a time when I felt that humbled in a room. And one of them one of them, in her, in her broken English, she compared it to driving in the fog, kind of her, her metaphor for, for faith, like a terrible fog. You know, the cliffs are right there, and you can see nothing. I mean, you've been in those, those moments before. There's nothing you can see. She said, all you, all you can do in those moments is look at the, at the line, right, the yellow line. And you watch that yellow line with your life, right, because everything depends on that, right? You, you focus there. That's faith, she said. When you, when you don't know what to do or where to go, when you feel comfort or fear or safety creeping in, right, and you, you can't see beyond the illness or the difficult relationship or the situation at work or the mean kids in class or whatever, whatever it is, look at Jesus, she says. Just keep watching the line. Walk in on him, the one who died for you, who loves you, who defeated death for you. And when we see him, we take one faith-filled step at a time. God help us. Let's pray. Father, would you do this work in us? And God, certainly we have our needs as a church in this moment for us, but God, I know that every one of us here, God, we, um, we can't do life on our own. And I pray that we would acknowledge that today. God, that we would see the areas individually and together that you are calling us to take one more step of faith and that we would trust you. God, that we would find our rest in you and that in so doing, we get to see just a little bit more of who you are. Do that in us, we pray. Amen. Well, if some of you were here uh, on our first Sunday in this space, uh, you remember probably two things. One, I poured coffee right on this carpet square uh, as a way to say... (laughs) I'm messy, but also as a way to say we're messy, that, that this place is not to be a, a building and structure that we admire. It is a tool to be used for the purposes of God, for the church to move forward in her mission 
of redeeming and restoring all things through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ's community, we are about multiplying churches, multiplying disciples, and multiplying leaders. That's why we do what we do. And, and as I shared in that morning, I, I read from Psalm 102 that our prayer is that this space and all that we do would, would echo the words of the psalmist in Psalm 102 that says, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that those yet to be born might praise the Lord. That's why we do what we do. And so, yes, as Nathan said, it, this, this does take bold faith. But, but we also have the, the, the truth that, that as bold as our faith may be, it's only as bold as the, the bold God that we believe in. And so as we prepare to, to leave this place from being the church gathered to being the church scattered, uh, I want to read from Psalm 25 as our benediction uh, to be reminded that, that as we move forward, we follow in the steps of a God who is faithful and just. So hear these words, brothers and sisters, as we leave this place. O oh Lord, make us to know your ways and teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us, for you are the God of our salvation, and for you we wait all the day long. Go in peace, living in light of this truth. Have a great week.